Welcome to Gapville Church. Let's stand together. Have you come to bless the Lord? Lord, we lift you up in this place. We magnify you. We glorify you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Lord, we lift you. We bless you. We praise you. Let's give the Lord praise today, church. Hallelujah. We bless your name, oh God. We praise you. We magnify you.
to give him glory. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in church today, folks? Hey, man, had a few birthdays this week that I'm going to have to mention. One of them, Sandra Mickler. I, I, I won't tell her age. We had a special birthday party uh, yesterday. I dropped, it was a drop by, and um, for Miss Ada Eads, and I will tell you that she wore a crown on her head that said 90. I don't know if that's her real age or not, but she had it on there. And, uh, and today is also my lovely wife's birthday. I won't tell her age either, but so good for that. All right, guys, I've got some good announcements for us and uh, today that we're wanting to move forward as we are reopening. There's a lot of things that are, there's a lot of workings that are going on behind the scenes. And so what we're shooting for is on October the 18th, we are looking to have a special children's service on October the 18th and on October the 25th. We're going to have some potential children's pastor candidates that are going to be with us on both of those Sundays. And so we're really, really excited about that. Ann and David have done this for a number of years. I know David's not here today, but could we honor Ann today for her dedication to this ministry for so long? But they're going to take a season off, and so we're looking to hire someone. We've got a young couple that's actually really good. We had a meeting with them, really liked them, really passionate about God, passionate about children. So we're excited to bring this service. Now, please know on these dates that the um, kids, please bring your face masks. I think that's pretty simple nowadays with school, so we're going to just go along with that. Also going to have hand sanitizing stations that are going to be available uh, to make sure those hands stay clean. Our volunteers are also, if they're working in close proximity with the kids, they'll have on protective coverings, whether it be a mask or face shield when they're doing arts or crafts or anything like that. So know that we're going to be taking care of your kids. We're looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to starting back. We're just trying to work our way through it here. So we're going to do it for two weeks, October the 18th, October the 25th, and then we're going to probably take a couple weeks off in the third week. We're hoping the relaunch full, full blast. And so this is the deal. I need all the volunteers. If you haven't received the text yet, you probably will be receiving a text this week. And so I really need all the volunteers to step up and help us make this possible because that's the only way we can do it, all right? It is the only way we can do it. And some of you have already uh, wrote back to the office this week, let us know that you're going to participate and help us. And so we want to create that weekly schedule like we used to have in place. We're wanting to get our structure back in line. So we're excited about this. So help us do that so you may be getting a text to help out this week. So be looking for that. If you have a special prayer request today, I just want you to lift your hand. I know there's many needs. God sees all those hands. I've spoke with some of you today. You've got special needs going on in your life. God knows those needs today. And so we're going to pray over you before we go back to our singing here. And we're going to ask God to bless all of our needs today in special requests. Father, today we lift up your name, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this wonderful crowd today that's here. Thank you for everyone represented. You know the needs that are in this congregation right now, Father. There's not one need that you didn't already know about. So today I pray that by the close of this service that everyone sitting in this building will be touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can do some more in one moment, Father, than I can do in an hour sermon. You can do it right here, right now today. So I speak over this congregation today that you would bless them, that you would let them know you're a way-making God, you're a prayer-answering God. Father, we commit the rest of this service to you. It's your service. Have your way in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift you in this place, oh God. Hallelujah. Have you come to bless the Lord? If you'd like to, let's stand back up together again to worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you just say that together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We lift you up, Lord. Hallelujah.
Somebody, if they're spending more attention and more time with somebody else than you are, than, than, than you, you kind of get jealous. And you'll do anything that you can think of to get their attention. God has done all he can think of to get our attention. He created us. We failed. He saved us. He brings us through trials. He allows things to happen to us to draw our attention to him. Oh God, my prayer, this is me personally, oh God, Lord, don't let me have to wait on you to draw me to you, oh God. Let my praise and my attention be on you. Let my mind be focused on you, oh God. So many things are happening around us. Our attention is grabbed away. Every little thing grabs our attention from our, our families are good, but our family draws our attention away from God sometimes. Our jobs, our kids. Oh, God, oh, God, don't let me have to hear you say, I'm jealous for you, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, that you alone deserve my worship. And you alone deserve my worship. 
bless your name, O oh Lord. We worship your name, O oh Lord. For there is none like you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Continue to worship. Praise the Lord. Can we give a hand clap today for God just worshiping? Praise God. Just thank you guys. Amen. I enjoyed that this morning. So last week we were on top of the mountain pretty high, weren't we? Anybody remember? We were up there on the mountain and we figured out that the rocks are, you know, falling off the mountain. The mountain's shaking and trembling. We figured out that the um, earthquake's taking place. But we also figured out that after the earthquake, what was there? Anybody remember? A still, small voice that spoke to Elijah. And we talked about the mountaintop, but today I'm going to bring us down the mountain. I guess I should have, I was thinking about it, I said, well, I should have been in the valley the first week, and then we could have went up to the mountain the second week. But I kind of spun this thing around. So we're going to come off the mountain today, and we're going to head down it, and we are going down into the valley. Are you ready to go into the valley today? Yeah, there's a couple of people who said, yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Psalm chapter 84, verse 5 through 7 is where I want to read if I could. The Bible said, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I just want you to notice the point here that says that they are blessed in the valley of Baca. They're passing through the valley of Baca. One of the best books that's ever been written in my opinion. I remember I was raised in the Christian school. I'm sure in the public schools they've never heard of this book. But when I was in the Christian school systems we used to have a book that was called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress was written by a man by the name of John Bunyan who had been put in the prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from that prison cell, he began to write about Pilgrim's Progress. We often think that just because we serve God that everything's going to be okay. But I have news for you. There are times that we serve God and we're still going to go through some mess. Can somebody say amen? And so this guy finds himself in the valley. But in the middle of his valley, in the middle of a dark prison, he begins to pin the words to Pilgrim's Progress. And what it does is there's a young kid by the name of Christian and aptly describes what the Christian journey looks like. The Pilgrim's Progress through life. You see, in our verse and in our text in verse 5, it tells us that we are set on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey. In other words, we are on a journey. The Bible says, according to Hebrews, he said that we are going to a city who has, that has foundations whose builder and whose maker is God. We call that place heaven. Anybody want to go to heaven in this place today? That is where we're headed. That is our pilgrimage. That is where we are going. So on this pilgrimage we experience joys. We experience sorrows. On our pilgrimage we, we go through mountain peaks of victory where everything is so good and it's beautiful and the peaks are so high. But then we go down into the valley and we go into these valleys of defeat and sometimes we win and, and sometimes we lose. Sometimes we're on a smooth selling road, but then there's other times that we're going through dangerous, rough terrain. That is the way it is in our Christian journey and in our pilgrimage. To put it frankly, the Christian pilgrimage is not always smooth selling. I'm afraid that there's a misconception and we've been misconstrued because we believe that some people believe that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ that we're not we're going to have a journey with no difficulties. We're never going to go through anything, but we, there could be nothing opposite than the truth because when you come to Jesus Christ there are going to be valleys if there's any ministry or ministry that tells you that everything is going to be good most of the time what they are after is your pocketbook because you'll pay to hear that kind of stuff you enjoy hearing that kind of message but at the end of the day it is contrary to what the word of God tells us the, the, the journey of the Christian listen there's some rough things that go on a matter of fact you read about the early church and you find where they were martyred for Jesus Christ if you think that the Christian life is always going to be easy you need to pick up a copy of a book by the name of Fox's uh, Christian Book of Martyrs and I'm going to tell you something you read that book and you understand that there's some good people that have had to go through some bad things and they've had to 
suffer. But thank God that they loved Jesus enough that even though they were walking through a valley, they were still blessed in the middle of their valley. They were still giving God glory in the middle of their valley. And I need somebody to understand today that just because you're going through the valley does not mean that you cannot walk in the blessing and the favor of God. I want you to understand that just because you're in the valley, it does not mean you're defeated. It does not mean that Satan's got his foot on your neck. Listen, you can come out of your valley praising God and giving Him glory for the great things that He has done. We try to sustain this euphoria, all right? Euphoria of meaning that intense happiness, that feeling that we get from being on the mountaintop. We want to live in that moment. As a matter of fact, we talked about this last week. We talked about the mountain peak moments. And we don't want to miss those moments. We don't want to miss those moments on the mountain when the still small voice of God speaks to us. We spoke of the Mount of Transfiguration, how that Peter said, let's just build here three tents or three tabernacles and let's just stay here. I've been in those God moments where I wanted to stay. But God was calling him down off the mountain to go into a place that he would experience some valley experiences. People go from religious meeting to religious meeting. We go from revival to revival. And oftentimes all we're trying to do is to keep the fire of emotionalism going in our lives. There's some people, when they canceled camp meeting this year because of COVID, there were some people that acted like they were going to backslide. My God, what are we going to do without camp meeting? Used to, when we grew up in the church, we had a revival at least once a month. Anybody remember those days or y'all didn't have those at your church? I mean, we have revivals all the time. And the purpose of it, we understood that if you can get emotionalism going in your church during a revival, you can keep that baby alive for about three or four weeks. That's right. After three or four weeks, if you make it a month, you've done good. But about week five, you better bring in another guest speaker. we got to get them embers of emotionalism burning yet again. But what we figured out in the church and what I've learned as a pastor is we, do, we should not be trying just to build up people's emotionalism. We need to build up their relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to shout amen. Because when you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, it don't matter if you're on the mountain or if you're in the valley. At the end of the day, you can lift your hands and give God glory because God is with you always and forever on the mountain and in the valley. That's the God that you serve. My God Almighty. And so we built these fire of emotionalism because we believe that if we didn't have another revival, people were going to backslide. My God, help us. We need to learn to have church. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. We need to learn to be like China today. China, man, they're, they're underground and they're having to scat back and forth trying to have church, trying to have revivals. I'm telling you, it's not an emotional experience for them. It's literally a life or death experience that they're dealing with and going through. But they still gladly walk through the Valley of Baca. They'll go through these troubles just to get to a, a church, just to worship God, just to give God praise, just to give Him glory. It's not about emotionalism for them. It is about giving God praise and giving God glory. We've got to understand we cannot build our relationship with Jesus Christ off of what we are feeling. We've got to understand that regardless of the person we are, regardless of the position that we hold, regardless of the possessions that we may attain, we've got to understand this understand it simply that at some point or another we will all pass through the valley of Baca whether we like it or whether we not we are not we are going to go through the valley we love the mountain but we're going to go through the valley so what is the valley of Baca it is some people say it was like another place and like six mile but it has a meaning when you look up in the Greek word, oftentimes the Bible, or the Hebrew word rather, when you look it up in the Bible, it has a definition. It means weeping. It means sorrow. It means bitterness. How many of you want to go through that valley? How many of you want sorrow? How many of you want bitterness in your life? It's not something that we sign up for. But nonetheless, it is something that God says that we need on this pilgrimage of faith. And today, by the time I leave, I'm going to deal with three valleys, if I may, today. That, that at some point or another, if it hasn't touched you, it is going to touch you. And by the time we leave today, I believe that I'm going to be preached to everybody. Are you ready for it? Number one, the valley of testing is a valley that we are all going to go through at some point or another. What is the valley of testing? Well, can I say it this way? You cannot, this is a tweetable moment, you cannot have a testimony without a test. Did y'all grab that? That's a tweetable moment. That's a Facebook post right there. 
You cannot have a testimony if you do not have a test. See, it's hard to tell people that they're going to make it through it when you've never been through it yourself. It is easy to tell people that have got COVID-19, you're going to make it. Suck it up. But when you get it and you're laid flat on your face begging God not to let you die, it's different, isn't it? There's a, until you pass through the valley of testing, you really can't help other people that have been through that valley. See, I want you to understand there's a purpose for our trials. a matter of fact, there's people throughout the Bible, I'm going to show you, who faced some great tests in their life. One of them was in Genesis 22. His name is Abraham. He was being tested by God. He is to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He has a knife in his hand. He rears back to literally sacrifice his son as an offering to God. Because that's what God told him to do all along. God wasn't going to make him kill his son. It was a test of his faith. Did he trust God? Did he believe in God? So as he rears back like this right here, the angel stops him and says, Abraham, you don't have to kill your son. Go look over the mountain. And let me show you what I've got going on on the other side. And when he looks over, there is a ram caught in the thicket. It is simply a test, but God turned it into a blessing. Joseph was tested by his imprisonment in Genesis 39, but through that he became the second leader over all of Egypt. He turned his test into a testimony. The three Hebrew boys are thrown into the fire, and out of that fire they came without one hair singed, without even smelling like smoke. And then we wrote a song, He Can Take You Through the Fire Again. See, I want you to understand that there's times of, of testing, but we can come out victorious on the other side. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Satan, three different occasions, tried to tempt him to give up. Just fall off this mountain. Let the angels catch you. Why don't you turn these rocks, these stones into bread? In many ways, he is tempted. Fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all the world that you see. Jesus is tempted by the devil. But see, God was going to turn it into a testimony because that same Jesus, because of what he went through, he was going to be able to endure the cross. He was going to look at the devil that had snarked at him and laughed at him when he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was weak in his body. Emotionally, he's tired and the devil attacked him. But he would be able to look the devil on the third day after his death and say, I am he that lives forevermore and I'm alive and I have the keys of death, hell, and of grave in my hand. He had to go through a test. But my God, what a testimony. And, and, and then we look at other people. Paul, who, who was in prison in Rome. Later on, he would be decapitated. But on his way to the guillotine, he gets a pen out and a little feather. I, I picture it that way. Anyhow, and he dips it in the ink. And he begins to write. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. And now, guess what? I'm going to a city with foundations whose builder and whose maker is God. Hallelujah. See, the testimony came from the test. That's why the first part, I guess, the first four letters of testimony perhaps is tests. We need to remember this simply, folks, that God uses times of testing for our advantage. He uses them to develop our character. God is not merely working in us or just, or, or God is not merely working around us, but God is oftentimes working in us. See, I, I want to show you an illustration. I found this just yesterday as I was kind of studying in my mind and trying to get my thoughts together. In other words, God's not working on your situation. When you go through tests, He's working on you. You ready for this? Let me give you an example. So Peter's walking on the water, and as he's walking on the water, the Bible says he sees the, the winds bolsters, is the way that the Bible reads it, so that means the waves are crashing all around. When he sees these tempestuous winds, he begins to sink. But he cries out, Lord, save me. And what does God do? He does not calm the storm. Are you ready? He tries to calm Peter. Because he looks at Peter and he, he really rebukes Peter. It is a moment of test. It is a moment that he is testing his faith to see if he really trusts him or believes in him or not. So it is a, it's a teachable moment. You've ever had one of those with your children. You just don't let them pass you up. And so it's a teachable moment. And he looks at Peter and he says, hey, oh, you of little faith. 
Did you not think I would rescue you? Did you not think I was able to save you? Oh, you have little faith. And so Peter's in the middle of all this. The wind is still blowing. The water's still raging. He gets him back into the boat. Once he's rebuked him and taught him a lesson about the test that he just allowed him to go through. To give Peter a testimony that I walked on the water. There's no other man other than Jesus that ever did it. He had to go through that test. But when they got back on the boat, guess what Jesus did? He said, peace be still. Read your Bible. And it says that the waters became calm. So God's not working on your situation. He's working on you. So in other words, you may be in the middle of a test. And you may look around and you may still see the wind. You may still see the things that are going on around you that you wanted God to stop. But you need to take a breather and understand. It's not about what's going on around you. It is about what God is doing within you. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah to that. So never lose sight that your test is to give you a testimony. So that's why I'm preaching today. You can be blessed in the valley of Baca. Secondly, there's the valley of tragedy. Don't we love this one? There was a Gallup poll that was taken several years ago in which they began to ask people, if you could meet with God one-on-one, face-to-face, what is the one thing that you would ask Him? Overwhelmingly, the Gallup poll proved that the biggest question was this. Why in the world, if there is a God, why does He allow suffering in the world? That's what they wanted to know. Why do we have tornadoes? Why, do the, why does a gracious, loving God allow these things to happen? Well, I want you to understand, we've been asking that question since the beginning of time. But it's really a simple answer. Adam and Eve sinned, and the Bible clearly told us that when sin entered the world, death entered the world. So it is a consequence of man's sin as to why we go through the valley of testing and the valley or the valley of tragedy. It's because of our sin. It's because of Adam and Eve. And so now we lose our loved ones to what? To death. We lose them. It's a tragedy. We hate it. But it is part of the process of life. It is what has happened from the beginning when man first sinned against God. See, the world is imperfect. Listen, we've got a lot of technology. We've gained a lot of ground. Many of you watched us as we flew uh, uh, the other day whenever they set off that rocket and went to the space station. And, and it was amazing. You could sit there and watch every bit of it on TV. I mean, it was just very intriguing. The thing that intrigued me the most is how can two guys sit in a, a, a vehicle or whatever you want to call it, a rocket, and they can go that fast and not throw up. That was what I was thinking the whole time. I mean, I enjoy roller coasters, but I can't even imagine what they were feeling. In spite of all the technology that we have. In spite of all of the science. That's a word that we've heard so much lately. I'm not tired of hearing it. Science and developments in in the midst of all of that. We still live in an imperfect world. We cannot fix it. And none of us, none of us in this building today, from the pulpit to the back door, is exempt from the statistical probabilities of life that are going to happen to us. Tragedy is going to hit. A matter of fact, cause of death. It says that if you fall, that one in 111 people are going to die from a fall. One in 106 people in this room are going to die from a car accident. An opioid overdose, 1 in 98 people. Suicide, 1 in 86 people will die from. Chronic lower respiratory diseases, 1 in 26. Cancer, 1 in 7 in this building today. Do you hear this? 1 in 7 will die from cancer. The leading cause, 1 in 6 are going to die from heart disease. Because we eat so many juicy cheeseburgers. And you're like, as long as I live a good life, if that's when I've got to die with a cheeseburger in my hand, then so be it. You are going to die. The probabilities, folks, are stacked up against us. Those that are going to choke on food and die, well, they're not. It's a little rarer, but 1 in 2,618 are going to die from choking on food. I could go through this list. I I got a lot of them here. Hornet or wasp or bee sting, 1 in 53,989, but it still happens, right? Lightning, 1 in 180,746. But guess what? There's people that have died being struck by lightning. 
The statistics are stacked up against us. I've got them on paper. There's a pile of them if you want them and want to read them. The ways that you can die and the stats that say that's the probability that you're going to die. They are stacked against us. Tragedy is going to hit. But Jesus has already said you can walk in favor and blessing in your valley of tragedy. What did he say? He said it in John chapter 16. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in disarray saying, oh my God, which one of these is going to get me? You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stress about it. He said, you do not. Because in the world, he said, you will have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. Because I have already overcome the world. I overcome death itself. And for everybody that's a believer in Jesus Christ, when you die, you too are going to laugh death in the face as you go over to a foundation whose builder and whose maker is God. Do not get discouraged. Encouraged in the valley of tragedy. You can still be blessed. Even in that place. I often tell people even in tragedies. You are able to help other people. For those that have lost loved ones. You know I'm telling the truth. When you walk through those lines. And you begin to tell people. You know I understand what you're going through. I've been here. I've done that. You know what I'm talking about. It is an encouragement to people. When they know that you've been there. When they know that you've went through it. And you made it out on the other side. God strengthened you through it. You became a stronger person. You became a better person. You looked at life from a different perspective. So I need you to understand that in the midst of evil. And this world is an evil place. That God is present. He is there to redeem us. He is there to save us. He is there to rescue us. Life may be bad. And my God. There's so much bad news, but even in the valley of tragedy going on all around me, while life may be bad, I know that my God, He is still good. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. I mean, you look at the tragedy all around you, but thank God, God's still in control, folks. I was reading the story of the development of Braille. In the French Academy of Science, there is a rather plain old shoemaker's awl that is on display. The story behind that all is quite extraordinary. To look at it, one would never suspect that this simple tool would be responsible for anything of consequence. In fact, this all would cause one young man a great deal of pain. It was this all one day that would fall from a shoemaker's table. And it would put out the eye of his nine-year-old boy. The injury was so severe that not only did this little boy lose vision in his left eye, which it hit... But it would impair both eyes to where he would become blind in both eyes. He was enrolled in a special school for the blind and the disabled. The boy learned to read by handling large carved wood blocks. So when the shoemaker's son became an adult, he thought of a new way that he could read. It involved a learning a system of dots that were translated into the letters of the alphabet. That could be read from a piece of paper on any flat surface. Louis Braille is his name and he actually used the awl which had blinded him as a boy to form the dots into a whole new reading system for the blind today known as Braille. Isn't that powerful? You talk about being blessed in the valley of tragedy. You talking about praising God and still doing good when you've got bad things happening to you. My God Almighty. Now I've walked by him before. And I've tried to fill them and I have no idea what they mean. But today, over 285 million people are visually impaired. Over 39 million people are blind. Look at the tragedy that God turned into a miracle. And now when people are going and they feel the bathroom sign and they understand this is the men's. This, this is the women's. I can't understand it because I've never learned it. But to them it is a lifesaver. My God Almighty. And this boy Louis Braille took his tragedy. See I, I like the old song that used to say God will make this trial a blessing. Though it sends me to my knees. Though my tears flow like a river. Yet in him there's sweet relief. There's no need to be discouraged there's no need to talk defeat because God's going to make your trial a blessing and the whole wide world will see listen to me folks God can turn your tragedy into favor and blessing you can take the bad things in your life and God can bless them 
So we've got the valley of testing. We've got the valley of tragedy. I'll leave you with this thought and we're going to leave. Number three, the valley of temptation. We're all going to come there. A matter of fact, there's some of you that were tempted today not to come to church, right? Mm-hmm. One person said, mm-hmm. Temptation is a reality that everyone is going to face somewhere or another. But yet, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we can be victorious through Christ. For there hath no temptation taken us but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But with the temptation he's also going to make a way of escape that you can be able to bear. There is never a temptation that the devil's going to bring your way. That God's not going to give you an exit door and say Jimmy take that exit door right there. How do men sin? When we are drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. And when this, this lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And then sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. As someone once said, I've had more trouble with myself than anybody else. As a preacher that looked in the mirror and said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have all the problems that I have. There's times we fail. How do we deal with failure? I've known people that have fallen prey to temptation. Failure comes in two forms. The first one's in Psalm 51. It's a moral failure. It was adultery. You look at David. He sees Bathsheba. He lusts after her. You know the rest of the story. It's history. They have a child together. The child dies because of the sin of David. But yet David is a man that repents and asks God, would you please forgive me? I have fallen into this bad temptation. I have done this wrong. I have done this evil in your sight. Would you cleanse me and I shall be clean. Wash me with hyssop and I'll be white as snow. My God, create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. Oh God, just because you've fallen, failure is not final. I need somebody to know that. You can walk out of your valley of temptation with your hands lifted saying thank God for the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. There are some of you in here today that if you make a mistake and you fail, Satan tries to mark you off, tell you it's over. Oh, there's nothing you can do. You've already you got a big X on you. God can't use you. God can't do nothing with you. I'm going to tell you something. King David was one of the greatest men in all of the kingdom. One of the greatest kings that ever lived. He failed. He sinned. He committed multiple sins. Not only adultery. He killed a man. He lied. I mean, he did all kinds of bad things. But yet he repented. And when he repented, God said, this man has a heart after God. There's times you may make a mistake, but I want to tell you, don't die in your valley. You need to get up, brush the dust off, repent, and keep on going. Bless God. There's a moral failure, but there's not only that. Then there's a ministry failure. You read about John 21. How often have we failed our Lord? How often have we failed to speak of God and His goodness? You know, sometimes the sin that we have is known as the sin of omission. Does anybody know what the sin of omission is? The sin of omission is when we know in our heart to do something that's right and we fail to do it. That is known as the sin of omission. Not doing the things that we should. Whenever I think about Peter, you remember the story. He has a ministry failure. He denies his Lord. The, the, the rooster crows and, and he looks at Jesus and his eyes pierce through him and he remembers the word of the Lord. He goes off and weeps bitterly. Why did he fail the Lord? Whenever people ask him, are you one of those men? Are you the one? I hear it in your voice. You're a Galilean. I can tell that you're one of those men. Surely you've been with Jesus and I've never known this man. I've never... See, there's times that I'm afraid in our life that we have a ministry failure because when other people are asking us about Jesus instead of standing up and saying, praise God, I'm one of them. I'm glad I'm one of them. That old song, yeah, I'm glad I'm one of them. Instead of doing that, we back into a corner and we shy away. And we don't want to express our faith. Maybe a ministry failure. Let me tell somebody today. Don't allow the devil to do that to you. Don't allow the devil to shut your mouth. That's exactly what he wants to do today. Open up your mouth. Let people know that Jesus lives. Failure's not final. Go to Micah 7. I'll read a couple verses to you here. And Micah said, who is a God like you? You pardon iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. Look at what it said. He does not retain his anger forever. That means God's not mad with you. It says, because he delights in mercy. He loves compassion, grace, and mercy. In the Old Testament, he was the God that if you sin and enter into the holy place... You would die for trying to enter into his presence with sin in your life. Anybody remember reading that in your Bible? But since Jesus died, he said, now I don't delight in killing people. I don't delight in seeing people go to hell. I delight 
in mercy. I want you to serve me. I, despite of who you are, despite of the failures you've made in your past, it's not final. First John 1, 8 through 9. Let me encourage you with this verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In verse 10, he says that we're a liar. But he said, if we confess our sins, thank God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? From all unrighteousness. I know we want to act super spiritual and we act like we got saved one time and we ain't never had to repent since. But I'm telling you that's a lie. I'm telling you right here from this. You've fallen short of the glory of God because of who you are. You're human. But God said if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, He will forgive you of all of your sin. See, we had people when I was growing up in church, bless their heart, we came up in a church that taught us pretty much that that if you sin, God marked you off. If you sin, I mean, I mean, my God, we were scared to chew chewing gum in church. I did it one time and got under conviction and repented. That's how bad it was. I mean, I'm telling you, everything you did, it's a sin. They'd scare you to death. But I'm telling you today, ladies and gentlemen, I know there's times we don't mean to do it. There's times we don't plan to do it. But there's times in a moment of weakness that you are going to say something you shouldn't say. There is going to be a moment of weakness when you're going to do something you ought not do. And what those people did that grew up in that mentality that I'm talking about. They would get down in the valley. And then they would make a mistake in the valley, in the low place, in this weeping, in this distress. As they're going through these valleys of of testing or the valley of tragedy. Or or they're going through the, the valley of temptation and they made their mistake. And they laid down in the valley and they died. They walked away from the church. I was talking to somebody the other day. And I said, these people, they didn't just quit church. They jumped off the deep end. I mean, they went to the gay lifestyle. Got them a boyfriend. I mean, they, they just went off the deep end. They didn't just do little sins. I mean, they wanted to go all the way in. There's no in between. And I thought to myself, they died in the valley because they made a mistake and they thought that failure was final. But I thank God today that failure is not final. And I'm glad that I serve a God that loves me and He delights in mercy as long as I mean it from my heart and repent with my heart. God's there to forgive us. Somebody ought to give God praise for that today. You know I'm right. So how do we maintain our motivation when we find ourselves in the valley of testing, of tragedy, of temptation, whatever it may be? Let's go back to uh, our text there, Chevy, verse, uh, chapter 84, verse 6 and 7. I want to show you the psalmist gives us the key here. Are you ready? He says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, or the valley of weeping, bitterness, whatever, they make it. Somebody say, make it. It ain't one. It ain't one, I'm telling you right now. But we got to make it a place of springs. Another version said they make it a place of blessings. There's some times that when you're in the valley, whether you feel like it or not, you need to make it a place of revival. There are times that when you're down and out, you need to make it a place of praise. Because if you don't, you'll die in the valley. He said when you're walking through it and passing through it, he said you need to make it a place of blessing. Don't just sit around and wait on God to pull you through. Sometimes you need to praise your way through. Sometimes you need to let God know you've got faith that he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. He's going to go with you to the end. So he gives us this insight that we we have to make it something that it really isn't. Verse 7, he says they go from strength to strength. Till they appear before God. There's time. Listen in Zion. Zion represents the church. I like it. There's not always times that you're going to be able to go to the church altar and pray. And make it right with Jesus. You're not always going to be able just to come to the church. And pray and get a prayer through. There's times that you're going to have to make it on your own strength. There's times that David said I just had to encourage myself in the Lord. I didn't have a preacher to pray for me. I didn't have any of my friends to pray for me. I just had to pat myself on the back and say, you're doing a good job, boy. Just keep on going. 
I made Baca a place of blessing and praise. And I just went from strength to strength. That's why God said one day at a time. What he's simply saying is if I can't make it today, I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to pray and say, God, I need you to help me. I ain't praying for next week. I ain't praying for tomorrow. I'm praying I can just make it to 12 o'clock today. Would you help me? And then when that fuel begins to run low, I open up my Bible and say, I better read a verse. I better read something. I need a word from the Lord. And I make it to 5 o'clock. There's times that we go from strength to strength even when we don't have the strength to go on. I'll leave you with this verse. And, and notice in 1 Kings 19, I am going to lead you up to where we started last week. Are you ready? But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness or the valley. He came and sat under a broom tree. This is Elijah we talked about last week. Chapter 19 was my text last week. He prayed that he might die, and he said, it's enough now, Lord, just take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay, and he slept under this broom tree, suddenly, that's how God works, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, a jar of water. So he ate it and drank it, and he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time, and he said, he touched him, arise and eat, because the what? The journey, <laughs> this pilgrimage. This Christian, this pilgrim's progress, it is too great for you, man of God. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb to where? <laughs> the place that we ended up last week where he starts walking up the mountain. And when he gets to the top, a still, small voice. Notice with me. He made it on the strength of that bread and that meal for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted. But what I want you to grab is there are times with God that He's going to touch you. Ooh, this is good. My God, I thought like He is going to touch you. And when He touches you, He said, Brian, you're going to have to live off of that for the next 21 days, son. Enjoy. But you're going to have to make it. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be hard. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is there some of you today that if you feel like you can't make it, you just need to pray and ask God, even though you're in the Valley of Baca and things are going bad right now, all you need is for God to touch you. And if God will touch you, you can make it through the valley until you get to your mountain and where you'll hear the still, small voice of God speak to you again. My God, amen. I'll leave you with this. I'm closing. Go, go ahead and go to the piano, Sandra, if you don't mind. I, um, I heard a testimony, and I, it's this Chinese pastor. And like I told you, over there, over there you, 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 you know, if you were to preach like I'm preaching today, uh, they would actually imprison you for, for preaching like this. They're a communist nation. They're a communist country. They're godless. They hate God. He was in prison for his faith for preaching about Jesus. He was placed in solitary confinement because he was witnessing to people about Christ. Not only was he witnessing the to other people about Jesus and winning them, the prisoners. But this guy had such an influence and power with God that he was winning the people that actually kept the prisons. That kept the prisoners. He was winning the wardens, kind of like Joseph's story. And he's winning them to Jesus Christ. However, while he's in his solitary confinement, he's not allowed to have a Bible. He's not allowed to pray. And he's definitely not allowed to sing out loud. So as he entered into the cesspool because they gave him a new job. This new job would require him to go into the cesspool. Now for anybody that knows what a cesspool is, it is sewage, it is waste, it is filth. It's a bad job. Nobody wants that job, right? Who wants to jump in the cesspool? But they gave him a new job and in this cesspool, he would work alone. And as he entered the cesspool for the first time, they took the door and they closed it behind him. For the first time in a long time, this Chinese preacher was all alone. Suddenly, he realized what a blessing that God had given him. And since he was all alone, no one could hear him. So he could pray. And he prayed as loud as he could. He could sing, even though it was off key. But he would sing to the top of his lung as much as he wanted. He could sing. In his cesspool, cesspool, nobody said anything. Nobody could hear him. So month after month, this Christian pastor keeps enjoying this deep fellowship with God all alone in his cesspool. And during his testimony, he said that his favorite hymn of all time was In the Garden. During an interview that he had on the radio, he began to cite the first verse. And he said it, I come to the garden alone. 
While the dew is still on the roses, the voice I hear falling on my ear of the Son of God discloses. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I am His own. The joy we share as we tarry there, none other have ever known. And then He said, and I quote to you. Are you ready for this? He said, I survived those years alone in prison because I learned to turn my cesspool into a garden with God. My God, that's good. See, there's some of y'all in here in this building today that if you would allow God to, He will take your mess and He will turn it into a message. He will take your test and He will turn it into a testimony. You just got to be willing to sing in the cesspool. You've got to be willing to pray in the cesspool. You've got to understand that some of the things that you're going through, even though you see them as a threat and you have a fight or flight response, and automatically you say, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight. But what God is wanting you to understand is simply this. He wants you to understand that the things that are going on in your life, perhaps they're a blessing in the skies. Let's all stand. I'm, I'm going to leave you with that. So today you can be discouraged in the valley of Baca. You can sit around and cry and weep. But I feel like telling someone today that you're going to make it. I feel like telling somebody today that I don't care what's went on in your life. I don't care the valley of testing, tragedy, or temptation that you're feeling right now. I want to tell somebody today that you are going to make it to the mountaintop. Even though you're discouraged, I'm telling you, God's going to touch you. God's going to give you strength. And like Elijah, you're going to get up and you're going to your mountaintop. Yeah, yeah. How many of you want to make it there? How many of you want to say, Pastor, I'm going to be blessed in this valley? There was one old song you said, I'm going to lift my hands and praise the Lord. I'm going to walk out of this valley with my hands lifted and praising the Lord. God's going to turn into a blessing for you today. Can you trust God for that? Can you trust God to do that for you? Can you trust that God's going to take a bad situation? See, there was something that Dr. Tony Evans said a long time ago, and it stuck with me. And he said, life is going to throw you lemons. He said that you can sit there and suck on the lemon juice, and lemon juice is really bitter. He said, or you could take your lemons, and you can put some sugar in it, and you can make some good old-fashioned lemonade. Woo! Nothing more refreshing than some good old cold lemonade. It's your decision. What are you going to do today? I'm walking through the valley, but I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to allow God to bless me here. Father, today I want to thank you for this congregation. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit. You're going to touch people right now. People that have been going through trials and tribulations. Some of the people here today that have been fighting battles. They can't make it on their own strength. They need you to touch them today. And Father, I pray right now blessings over their lives. I speak over their lives right now. I rebuke every work of darkness that's come against families in this building. People that have been in that valley and, and Satan's tried to come around and say, you know what, it's over for you. There's no way that you're going to make it. I speak over their lives today. I declare victory over them. I declare that they're going to lift their hands and they're going to give you praise and they're going to give you glory and they're going to give you honor for what you have done. And even if you haven't done it yet, we're still going to praise you anyhow because we refuse to sit around and die. We're going to be blessed in the middle of our valley, Baca. In Jesus' name.